What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Helmet Theory Podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt. And I'm your other co-host, Matt. <laughs> That's not confusing on an audio show, is it? It's all right. Yeah, dude. Let's uh, let's just kick it off. So you're, you're in a hotel tonight. I am in a hotel for work. I'm in Fort Worth, actually, right now. So if you're if you're if our audio is not pristine, it has nothing to do with the fact that we suck at editing. It's it's only the reason. It's the hotel. That's it. Yep. There are no padding. There's no padding. There's nothing but hard edges in this room. So yeah, because every other show that we put out, every other episode is going to be just pristine, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Good. Okay, so I did something stupid that I want to tell you about, or I'm doing something stupid. I'm currently doing something stupid. Yeah. I've done Uh-oh. it before. <laughs> uh, uh, this, uh, this is how interesting conversations. And... Well, it's pretty anticlimactic, but I know that you're going to just, I, I'm eager to hear your thoughts on it. Okay. So you know that Kirsten and I have tried various forms of let's get skinny. Okay. <laughs> So we're doing whole thirty again. She she we were talking about it the other day, and she I said I kind of just said it. Hey, let's we should do whole thirty again, and I didn't really mean it. I, or I did, but anyway, she's like making a grocery list by the time I finish my sentence. So I'm on day three of no sugars, no breads, like uh, pretty much everything you'd ever want to eat, you can't have. So it's like fruits, vegetables, chicken and fish, stuff like that. It's yeah, all the all the comfort stuff you're is just out. Yeah, which is most of my diet. Let's be honest. So yeah. like, I can't I can't go to Andy's. Uh, that's out of the question. No Whataburger, chicken biscuits. Here's what's crazy. Um, I don't have you done it before? Never. Yeah, I didn't think so. I've always been around people that did the fad diets and all that stuff. Yeah, and I just never I can never get down with it. Yeah, I hear you, man. It sucks. So what happens is the first. Really, they say the first like week kind of sucks. Your body's acclimating. You're used to all this crap that that you're putting in your system, but the first three days, like, suck big time. So, I kept thinking over the last couple of days, I, I forgot about it. Like, I forgot that there's these side effects. So I kept thinking like, uh oh, I, I think I'm getting sick. I, I was at work today and I just wasn't feeling good, and people were ticking me off. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm like straight grumpy, dude. Like, I'm about to flip on somebody. I, I just I hate everyone right now. And I and then I remembered. I was like, "Oh, I'm a fat guy who can't have carbs right now. This sucks." <laughs> so, so your body's rejecting, dude. My body's rejecting the fruits and vegetables. I had done some intermittent fasting. Like I got up to my fattest, <laughs> which this isn't what the podcast is about. So, if you're still hanging in there, we're gonna move right past this in just, <laughs> just a second. <laughs> but I reached my peak weight, like. I don't know, a couple months ago, probably four or five months ago, and which was post-marriage, obviously. Most people get skinnier when they're about to get married and then gain weight. I did. I skipped the get skinny part, and then... So I'm already kind of ahead on my winter body. Oh, yeah. Which jokes on you skinny people, I guess. Anyway, people didn't come... People didn't come here to listen to us talk about how fat we are or how fat I am. You're corn-fed. That's different. Well, I've never, ever been a small guy, so... Yeah. Anyway, let's... Let's get past my dietary restrictions. Um, I had an interesting thing happen, and we won't spend much time on this, and then we'll get into the meat, but I, I think you're really going to be eager to hear about this, or I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. So, you know me. I'm a, 
not afraid sometimes to push the envelope, so to speak. Sometimes. That's like most of the time, but okay. Well, okay, but in my defense, I think I used to do it a lot more like I wanted to be edgy or, you know, just kind of like I wanted to ruffle feathers. But anymore, it's kind of like sometimes I want to say strong things to get a point across or whatever. Sure. So you remember I did, uh, I wrote like a little blog post a month ago or so uh, about, the title was Jesus is not enough. Oh yeah. When I posted it, I I put a little disclaimer that was kind of making fun of the the title of it. I said, hey, this is clickbait, ha ha, you know. And in the, in the, the post, I kind of explained what I meant by that and went into, it was a post about mental health, mental illness, depression, anxiety, et cetera. And my point was, and I explained this, I thought thoroughly, but I explained it. And my point was, Jesus is not enough. If he wasn't enough, or excuse me, if he was enough, then we wouldn't go to therapists. We wouldn't take medicine. We wouldn't feel the need to change our diets for mental health reasons. We wouldn't change our sleep habits for mental health reasons. We would just, you know, we'd just pray more and Jesus would be enough. And I made those disclaimers. And of course I knew that me saying Jesus isn't enough is going to like capture. Oh, that's going to ruffle some feathers for sure. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So of course I did. Now I will say, and I want to focus on this. Well, I want I want to not forget this. Right now, I want to focus on the negative. <laughs> but I had several I had several people who reached out to me and uh, it, were just telling me like, "Hey, thanks for sharing that post," or "I struggle with this or that," or you know, whatever. It was just really cool to get kind of some affirmation or some or just some like minds, I guess. Well, it feels good for people to give feedback. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then just to know that. You know, that was kind of a vulnerable vulnerable moment for me. So to know that, okay, I say this this thing, and yeah, I, I, it's a little punchy when I say it, but to know that there's other people that are in it too, and maybe maybe they're not quite as timid to talk about it now, or or they just don't feel as alone or whatever, because it can be a pretty isolating feeling. But what I was getting at was there was at least one person, there may have been, there probably was a ton of people that didn't say anything, but one person in particular, and... I don't know who they are, so I'm not, I, and I wouldn't say if I did on, on a podcast, obviously, but somebody. So is this recent that you're talking about? Well, I did the post, you know, like a month or so ago, but it, it, it somebody came to me and kind like, of. But this comment that you're speaking of is, is more recent because I was keeping up with it pretty regular. Yes. So somebody, somebody reached out to me, you know, a month after and said, hey, I was approached by someone. They were kind of curious about it. They weren't sure if they should talk to you, this whole thing. So, which is fine. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but so it, me saying that really offended them. And the reason I bring this story up is not just to talk about it or talk crap or anything like that. I think it actually segues well into what we're going to talk about with some of you and, and your journey. But I just thought it was like, I, I knew it was going to happen. Like when I posted it and I shouldn't have gotten my panties in a wad about it, but I, I did, of course, because I'm <laughs> sensitive. But I knew it was going to happen. I knew that when I posted Jesus isn't enough. And of course, like some of the religious like Facebook trolls came out, you know, and they hopped on the comments. And Yeah, if anybody goes and looks at this uh, post, I kind of stick up for Hep in one one piece. Please just, just disregard that. I should probably just go and delete it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> delete what yeah, I you said. got a little rowdy, didn't you? Now people are going to go searching for uh, for what I said and had to say. You bowed up. but Well, I mean, and I get it. Like, I don't blame you for that. And uh, well, I, obviously I appreciated it, but. Yeah, I don't know, man. I make a post like that. I make a strong sentence about Jesus, who obviously this is Jesus is in your wheelhouse too. It's not like you're anti-Jesus. You're very much pro-Jesus. Yeah. How does that sentence resonate with you, knowing the heart behind it, knowing what I wrote? And really what I want to know is, 
knowing that people would get offended by it, how does that stuff sit with you? Um, well, I think some things, some things really just need to be to be said. I think that most people uh, that are, are wanting to respond to that, they, they want to attach themselves to that statement or to the mental health aspect of it. Um, so before I talk about the actual just Jesus is not enough statement, I think it was really cool because you got to be a voice for people who normally wouldn't step out and say something about it. Because for those people that do struggle with it, it's easier for them to attach themselves to someone who wants to talk about it, who wants to be open about it. I think it was very honorable of you to to reach out and talk about that. So what do I think about the Jesus isn't enough thing? Um, here's here's the thing where, where I land on this whole subject. Me and you have talked a little bit about this, not as much in depth as what I'm about to go into. I think that people get their panties in a wad about things if you're not just completely certain about the same things that they're certain about. So I think that, yes, I've heard arguments of, well, Jesus is enough because Jesus created the people that were the counselors and and he created them to be counselors for you. So this whole thing is Jesus. Okay, I get that argument, but I also get the argument of, well, is Jesus in the medicine? Is Jesus in the, you know, maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe we need each other. Yeah, you said something when we were talking about this last, and I thought it was really profound. You said, I don't know if Jesus wants to be enough. I think people would even find a problem with that. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to David. I was talking to David, who is going to be on a future episode. and But he said, he said it's like, it's like you're saying Jesus is not enough, and people get their panties a lot, but it's because of all those reasons. But it's like he said, Jesus is enough, and that's why he wants us to also maybe seek medical help, maybe seek a counselor, maybe seek holistic alternative approaches, diets or whatever, sleep patterns. Okay, I see where you're going with that. I, I Yeah, so the, the reason I said that I don't know if Jesus wants to be enough, I don't think that Jesus wants you to, to not experience the world that he's created. So what I'm saying is like, I don't think Jesus ever intended for us to not interact with each other, to not interact with his, with his creation. When, when people, so, and this may cause some cognitive dissonance with some people, but me and Kirsten, me and Kirsten were talking about, we wondered if you'd say cognitive dissonance in this episode. Yeah. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I, I just really wonder, does Jesus really want you to be so focused on him that you ignore everything else. The reason I say that is because I get the feeling that when people say, no, Jesus is enough, they're speaking from a religious place, not a godly place, not a place where it's experienced in Jesus. They're more speaking from a place of, you know what? No, Jesus is enough because that's what I've learned my whole life. Jesus has to be enough. Well, and I feel like a lot of people don't have any meat behind what they're saying. They're saying Jesus is enough, and it's like you're, they're saying that, like you said, because that's what they know to be true in their minds, but they've never explored that. And I'm not even saying that Jesus isn't enough. I obviously think things like prayer and everything that encompasses like the faith journey or walk or whatever Christian lingo we want to use, I think that matters. But Yeah, yeah I think it matters. I, I think, okay, let's let's just talk about it in this context. One of the biggest things, kind of my 
my uh, life motto here lately, as far as my faith goes, is if you treat people like your faith is your facts or like your faith like is a fact, you treat people differently than if your faith in Jesus was your hope. So I think that's where I, I really think that that's the heart of what you were coming from in stating that. Because really, if Jesus is our facts, then everybody's a freaking idiot that doesn't believe in Jesus. I know freaking incredibly smart people that don't believe in Jesus. Let's kind of switch gears there. I also think that, man, Jesus is my hope. And where I come from with that is there's not a soul on this freaking planet that knows for a fact that when they die, they will go to heaven. And I'm talking scientific fact. Okay, time out. Because I think I think we have an opportunity here to slip in. It's almost like we're starting with the climax. Here's the climax. Nichols is saying, or Hep or whoever, is saying all this stuff. And, and maybe people agree or maybe they don't agree. But nonetheless, they have no context. So before you go further on that, let's rewind on you. And let's, because I think it's interesting how you got to this place. Because you wouldn't have talked like this two years ago, five years ago. Great. Yeah, let's talk about it. You're right. So so let's rewind. So you grew up like me. I mean, crap, went to the same church and youth group and all that crap for a long time. But, I mean, you you probably weren't much different than any other Bible Belt, Christian, Southern Christian, Evangelical Christian. And I mean, if we don't have people that, I guess, maybe I'm even using some like Christian talk right now, but you basically grew up conservative, traditional, maybe even fundamentalist Christian. Is that fair? Oh, that's more than fair. That's that's right on. That's spot on. Okay. So how do you go from that to being a leader and going and being an intern at a one of the fastest growing churches in America to then... You know, now being where you're at, it's just there's a whole story arc here that I find pretty fascinating. And of course, I know all about it, but I would I would just start with saying this. My dad taught me to think for myself. They never forced me to go to church and never any of that. Nonetheless, I was raised in the church. I was raised in a fundamentalist background. This is what you do, this is what you don't do. So we probably both agree, like when when you say fundamentalist like, obviously, there are some churches that could be more traditional or whatever than what we grew up. And there's, you know, some that are crazier or charismatic or out there or whatever. But for you, it was pretty much, you tell me if this is fair. Don't cuss. Don't look at porn. Don't have sex with a girlfriend. Don't be gay. Don't drink. Oh, yeah. So there's this kind of list of, of, of a moralistic framework. And then there's like, you know, you go a little bit deeper underneath the morals and it's believe that God is this, believe that Jesus is that, get saved, or Once saved, you know, always make sure you saved, don't go to hell. Make a decision, and then, then you'll go to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, so you're you're walking this out, and I remember going to church camp with you at, I think it was, did we go to Siloam? Where did we go? Si- oh, that was, yeah, we somewhere. Uh, way back in the day. So we, we were so, like, fundamentalist that this is when, like, we started realizing it was okay to, like, lift your hands when you worship, which some people do that, some people don't. But I, do you remember how nervous I was? I remember being like, dude, I can't do it. Like, I see all these people and being like good Christians, but I cannot do that. <laughs> I remember it was, I've literally had people tell me when we were that young, raising your hands is not what we should do. Almost like raising your hand is a sin. Right. Because it's distracting other believers or whatever. 
So we go from that to let's fast forward to maybe college and, and you're doing college life and you're an intern at a massive church. Yeah. So basically, cause I, that's where the story gets interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely does. So I surrendered to preach quote unquote <laughs> in the background that we were raised in. We both did the same church camp experience. What does that even mean? I don't know. Basically you surrender your life to preach. You make a decision. I told somebody that one time, they were like, what do you mean you surrendered? Like, you just, like, threw your hands up and were like, oh, I surrender, I'll preach. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's that kind of is how it was. Yeah. Well, so did that when we were, what, 16, 17? And then went to college and didn't really go to church for a while. And then I had a, I, I joined a fraternity, which, oh, no, you're so bad. Like, and I, a lot of people were like, why would you even say that? Yeah, most people don't even connect that as being bad but i remember people like making comment that like that's the background we came from yeah and that's what i was about to say is like it people listening to this like what's the big deal about a fraternity it was kind of me bucking the system honestly then i had a fraternity brother actually asked me to come to the church where basically my life was just thrown towards the trajectory of trying to be a pastor i interned with two three pastors I was on leadership for, good Lord, who knows how who who knows how long, seven eight years on leadership. And what does that mean? I, I was given more responsibility. I led small groups. I actually was over the small group leaders. So, and when I say small group, for those who, who don't know what that is, uh, just a small group of people getting together, basically a Bible study. I was over the leaders, like which is weird to say I was over them, but was over uh, multiple leaders that, you know, if you think about it like a business structure, you have certain people that they, they progress through the ranks. And fast forward a little bit, I actually was given the opportunity to be a pastor at a, you know, a branch church or a new campus and was like more than overjoyed, was so happy about it. I got to pastor people. I got to, you know, I was the interim youth group pastor or the youth pastor. Okay, real quick. You talked about, and I just, I don't want to miss this. That's why I'm interrupting you so much. But so you talked about being a leader and this was when you were an intern, all this kind of stuff. But the reason that that's important is not because you were a leader. Like the reason that's important. I mean, that was cool and everything, but the reason that was important is because there was a shift that happened in you, right? Like, and I'm not saying it was bad or good, but like you begin to change the way you thought or acted or even dressed, you would probably say. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, <laughs> okay, I see what you're getting at. I pretty much lost who I was. <laughs> I began to do everything in my power to fit the mold of of fitting, uh, of being a pastor. What that looked like was I went from being a guy who grew up with my dad, teaching me how to work on cars, avid hunting and fisherman. I always describe you like this. You're like... Half like kind of gangsta thug, ready to you know, drop the flat bill like, <laughs> and then half like redneck country boy. I, like you'll roll up in boots, jeans, and like a tall tee with like graphic something. Tall on Tall tee? I've never worn a tall tee. Not a. <laughs> never worn Maybe a tall tee, bro. Maybe not a tall tee, but anyway, I didn't mean to get us on a tangent here. What I what I was getting at was like I I know that. When we talk, I know that this is a big, pivotal part of your story. 
And I know that a big part of the things that you say actually go back to identity and finding yourself and losing yourself. Yeah, yeah. So as I was in leadership, then basically what began to happen was I began to fit the mold, began to pretty much, I I was groomed, if you will, to become more like what a, a leader or a pastor, potential pastor should look like for that demographic, for whatever. What happened then was I was given the opportunity to be the youth pastor in Russellville at a, at a new church that was being started there. It got to a place where I was so stressed out with the amount of time that I was spending doing those things, pastoring, calling students, calling parents, spending time with kids. Praying, reading my Bible, like they're making me do all this crazy stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what it came down to, and I actually calculated it one time, I was getting four hours a week free to myself. Four hours. I don't see the problem. Yeah, I was so stressed out. And, the, and man, you know me. I, I'm the type of guy that, like, I need my downtime. I need time to re-energize. I need time to kind of let my if I, I need time to get from 50% to back back up to 100% before I even engage with other people. So I was even yeah. I was walking around like not even able to really function 100% with people. People thought that I was like not all there. Man, I can't remember how many times people asked me like, "Matt, are you out of it today? Like is something going on?" No, man, I'm good. Well, what ended up happening was I had, an, uh, I had a conversation with the pastor. Essentially, what happened was we had a conversation about me being so stressed out. We both agreed that I should probably not do this. And he even made a statement, Matt, I don't think that this right now is for you. Which, looking back, you would probably agree. Oh, I 100% agree. And I think he was actually very wise saying that. But at the time, obviously, that's, that's kind of that stings a little bit. Oh, it stung a lot. So there was probably, good Lord, six to eight years there where I was building up to this point where I was losing more and more of myself, becoming more and more like the mold of what it looked like to be a pastor for that church. And then all of a sudden it got cut off in a day. I remember not knowing really what to do, how to do it, like how to live life. And that may sound really foreign to some people, but... No, it does. It sounds incredibly dramatic, but I totally get it. And I, But I do think, like, when I tell my my similar experiences to people, I think that they're kind of like, what well, I don't get it. You just weren't doing church stuff as much anymore, and now, now you feel like you've lost your life. It's like, you don't get it. This was my life. <laughs> yeah, to, to drive that point home, you know, my wife and I were dating at the time. About a month later after that day, we were driving to her hometown. She just ask me, Matt, what what do you want to do? What do you like to do? What do you enjoy? And I sat there like, I was like, holy shit, I have no idea. I have no freaking clue what I like to do, who I am, all that. So this happens, and you sort of have a, a breakdown, of, not a breakdown, but you you – you had like a, a little bit of a, I, I can see myself in the mirror now and I'm not so sure I like what I see necessarily. I didn't even know what I saw. That's not even that I, at that point, I didn't know what I liked, what I didn't like. I didn't know that I didn't like who I was. I just, I had no clue. So then you fast forward, you guys get married and this was around the same time 
well, this was right before I ended up going through separation and divorce. Your wife gets deployed. Yeah, so we were married a year. My wife gets deployed. And then me and you are living at your freaking <laughs> Well, hold on. We're skipping, a, we're skipping a key pivotal thing here. Actually, to kind of fix the itch there, I actually went to the church that you had started getting involved with. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you're right. And tried to get more plugged in there as you know, and start chasing that dream of being a pastor again. And what happened there was I just realized, like, this really isn't for me. So what happened was, you know, you're obviously thinking through all this stuff. But one of the things I remember you telling me was, like, you looked at me and you were like, dude, you just seemed like such a cookie-cutter pastor guy. And it was all of a sudden, like, I don't have my friend. I've got this this pastor guy. You know, you'd already started to step down, but that was, like, you know, just the cherry on top kind of thing where you were just like, yeah, I, I can't do this. Yeah, so in that moment, I, I remember feeling like I'd kind of lost my friend, but yeah. So so then fast forward a little bit, my wife gets deployed. She gets deployed after a year of us being married. For 15 months, she was deployed. And I remember just thinking, I've got to figure this out. I literally have gone through all this. I'm trying to figure out who I am. And then my wife leaves. Not her fault, but, you know, I'm, I then get thrown into being by myself. Which for me, it was kind of healthy, but what ended up happening was I got more involved just at a different campus with the original church that I had stepped down from. And the more that I was involved, the more responsibility, like it was like, it was almost like people just took that same load and put it on me in a different form a lot quicker than the eight years that had built up to the previous time. So you were the, you were the guy at a buffet who knows that you've eaten too much food, and instead of stopping and eating, you just quit eating that plate of food, but you go get another plate and put more crap on it. Yeah, the, the same amount of, of food, just different plate, yeah. Which is a stupid analogy, but that's, that's where we're going. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for it, though. Yeah, I'm thankful for it, though, because... It allowed me to really solidify, okay, this isn't what I want to do. I remember, you know, one of our good friends was the pastor of the, of the uh, ministry that I was involved with at that time while, while Jordan was deployed. And he was just so confused of why I was stepping down. But the, the hard thing about it was, or like I was on leadership again, but just for a different ministry. And he was so confused whenever I kind of walked away. Jordan got back. We both decided we weren't going to do it. But the the hard part for me was I didn't know how to really talk about it. I didn't know how to really dictate how or explain how I was feeling. I didn't know how to explain why I wanted to not do this anymore. Well, so there were two things happening, too, that I remember. Number one is, and this is obvious, and anybody listening will be able to clearly go, oh, yeah, of course that happened. But number one, you, you were experiencing some burnout while at the same time, listening and being exposed and maybe being open to just different things you were hearing theologically philosophically oh gosh yeah but also your wife came back and had seen a whole new perspective of how people treat each other outside of western american worldview yeah she actually made a point shortly after she returned she said uh you know what's sad is i went over to a middle eastern country where it's mainly people that are are muslim she said they treated her better and more kindly and treated each other 
better and more kindly than any Christians had ever really treated her in the past or seen in the past. Like, they weren't judgmental. They weren't anything like that. Like, they just really wanted to take each other in. Like, they invited her, never met her before, and her different people in her platoon and stuff would invite them in. Hey, you want to come eat with us? It was completely different than the way that the news and the media describes people in Muslim countries. So she came back and also said, you know, it's weird. And she had a problem. She had really kind of a hard time describing this, but she said, what's weird is I came back from being, being around just rough military site people really to coming back to America, to Arkansas, where everybody is quote unquote Christian Everybody talks this, what, what we call Christianese. And she was like, why in the crap are people not talking like normal people? And I was like, holy crap, I've never even thought about that. So during that time that she was deployed, you were living with me. I was starting to really just explore things that I've never explored. Again, to go back, my mom and dad always taught me to be my own thinker. And I'm trying to figure out who I was. And my wife returns with these things that she's experienced. The next thing that happened in this story is crucial to really me figuring out who I am and who I'm going to walk in the world as. So I had a boss. His daughter was lesbian, came out as lesbian when she was young, very young. When she came out, he happened to be a leader over a men's ministry. He makes a Facebook post about how he and his wife are really supportive of his daughter. We love you. We don't care what goes on. We don't care how you identify. We just love you. He was straight up asked to step down as leader of a men's ministry and end up feeling so ostracized that they feel like they have to leave the church. Which is weird because he didn't even really take an affirming stance toward the topic. He just said, this is my daughter. I'm going to love her. I'm not walking away from her, right? Yeah, yeah. He's just saying, I, I want to love my daughter. Gosh, dude, that sucks. Which, that, in that moment, everything came down to, holy crap, Christians treat people like dirt. Like dirt. If you're not in the club, then you're so far out of it that you never have a chance of being in it. And if you even talk about interacting with people, like someone that's gay, if you happen to have a gay daughter... Oh, well, you can't support her. And and not that every Christian's that way. We're not that way. Well, and I think there's obviously there's a ton that aren't. Yeah, yeah. But those those people stick out like a sore thumb. Well, those people were the same type of people that we were raised around. Yeah. I like how this led to you asking even if someone is fill in the blank, how how then do I treat them, you know? Which for a guy like you who values people and now you're sitting there with a guy you genuinely care about and you're going crap, these are my people, and they suck. And I don't know if I want to associate with them anymore. Yeah, so it was it was hard for me because it kind of put some, some meat into the way that I was feeling. My boss at the time would talk to me and ask me certain questions, and that's when I started going, holy crap, like, I just need to love people. Just care about them. I hate when people say, yeah, I just want to love people. What does that even mean? Just care about people. Yeah, I think that needs to be not defined, but it's like when you say, like, I want to love people or I want to love, like, it sucks, but I think it does warrant a little bit of a description. Yeah. So, okay, all that, 
fundamentalist background, fraternity boy gone wild, goes to the <laughs> church, goes into leadership, loses himself, if he ever even knew himself, ended up not knowing who he was, and acknowledging that, gets married, goes through a 15-month isolation with his wife being gone, comes back. Taking care of my best friend. Take, yeah, <laughs> dude, which is a whole nother freaking chore. And then reevaluating pretty much everything. And now here we are. It's 2019. Now, how do you describe your... Where I am today? Yeah. I, we may not even have words for it, honestly. Like, we can say traditional, fundamentalist, whatever. If you don't have specific words, that's fine. But where are you now? So as I as I was thinking through these things, the way that I would actually describe it is, so when we were when we were brought up, it was there was a root behind the fundamentalist background that we had, and that was you're either on A side or you're on B side. You're on the left field or you're on the right. You're on you're a Republican or you're Democrat. You believe in speaking tongues in in tongues or you don't. You believe that Jesus rose on the third day or you don't. You believe that hell is real or you don't. I could go down so many things there. You believe that the Bible is without error or you don't. So very dualistic. Yeah, yeah. So for me, where I have kind of landed is, man, I I still 100% believe that Jesus is real. Here's my thing, though. That is my hope. My hope is that I will go to heaven. My hope is that my dad went to heaven. My hope is all those things. I don't want to ever get in a place where I am so sure of it that I treat people like crap. So if it's your hope, is it just kind of like, I hope the Cowboys go to the Super Bowl this year? Or is it like, I hope Santa Claus comes? <laughs> no, it's it's hope with action. It's hope with with prayer. It's hope with living a a life like Jesus. And I think that's probably where I where I should dive in there is just trying to live a life that compares to Jesus's, the example that he led, the loving people that you know, how he loved people that religious people didn't love, how he met with people in in places that weren't okay for him to meet them in. How that looks like for me is and, and this is actually funny because you you said this to me a few months back. It's funny how when you aren't so focused on going to church every weekend, or how I have not been so focused on going to church every weekend, how I've actually met people that I never would have given the time of day because I never had a friend that wasn't a Christian. I've met more atheists and gay people since I've believed this way, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I love having conversations that I would never would have never had before. Okay, so here's here's a question. I love asking people this question because I feel like people only they only tend to think about one of it's a kind of a two two part question. I guess I'm dualistic also. <laughs> it's a two part question. It's what would you say to people that are listening to this podcast that are church people, they believe whatever it is they believe, um, maybe they're a lot like you and I they're Christians, whatever. And then also, what would you say to people that have no intentions of becoming Christians? They don't probably agree with things of spiritual matters that we talk about or maybe the way we talk about Jesus or the Bible or whatever else. What message would you give both of those people? And I feel the reason I say it's dualistic is because I feel like people tend to have one or the other. They think about one or the other. What message of hope would you have for both crowds? 
And it could be two different answers, or it could be the same. That's a that's a really deep question, actually. So what I would say to people that are church-going people, that maybe even are fundamentalists, that do believe how we were raised, is if it works for you, great. Please don't treat people like crap that don't believe the same way as you. Let me give you an example. If you're the church-going person that, that is hearing me right now and says, man, I don't know that I really even believe anything that, that Nichols is saying. Let me drive this thing home. One of the biggest experiences that comes to mind when I think of Christians and how they ought not to interact with the world is one time my wife and I were eating at this restaurant. You couldn't move the chairs. You couldn't move the tables. Look over. There's a family with a little girl. The little girl's nose came right up to the edge of the table. She's running around having a good time. In the middle of that, an older couple comes by, sits down at the table on the other side of us. While they're eating, they're, they're, they're starting to sit down, get comfortable, and this little girl bumps her nose super hard into the edge of the table, starts crying like she's probably never cried before. The next thing I hear is the older lady say, man, I wish they would take that freaking kid out so we could enjoy our lunch. And the next thing that they did was they grab hands and they start to pray. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I'm talking about. Christians, like in that moment, what happened in my mind was, hold up, you're a Christian. You're supposed to love kids. You're supposed to, you're supposed to care about the hurting. But instead, you were more concerned about eating your, your lunch and, them and the parents taking their freaking, quote-unquote, kid out so that you could enjoy your lunch. That's the problem. That's the issue. Okay. I, so that's what you would tell the church crowd. Now, maybe what message of hope do you have for those that either don't believe? And I don't mean like, how can you convert them or convince them? I just mean, I don't know what I mean. What would I you say? It. I would say that it's okay to be where you're at. But I also want want anybody to hear this and and me just hear me say this. If you're alive and breathing right now on this planet, you are on a journey. You are on a journey of figuring out who you are. You're on a journey of figuring out spiritual things. You're on a journey of figuring out how to care about people or not care about people. You're on a journey, period. We're all figuring this thing out. And I'll just say this to the, to the Christian side. Most of the people that I've met that are atheist or agnostic, are so because of Christians. The people that I've met would say, yeah, I just don't want to be like how I was raised. Yeah, which really sucks, man. I'm excited I'm excited to have some, uh, some of our next guests on um, because I know some of their experiences with the church. And I mean, look, we're not just going to crap on the church or Christianity or have people on here that are going to do the same. But I think that they have stories that are worth hearing. I mean... Yeah, just to clarify, I don't hate the church. I see it for what it is. I don't I don't elevate it to a place that is replaces God. For me, I think that we in the South have replaced God for church sometimes. I know I did. I think that was a big part of, of, of my deconstruction and reconstruction. So I don't hate the church. What I do think, though, is that Christians, if you lose yourself 
because lose sight of who you are because of the church that you're in or that you're involved with. And also, you don't have any Christian or any non-Christian friends. You live in your Christian bubble. Then I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear you stand on the rooftops and pronounce or tell everybody how being gay is this or atheists are this. Or I don't want to hear it. Until you have a place that you can relate from, until you live a life where you actually even know anybody that you're disagreeing with or whatever, yeah, it's different. Until you can invite people to the table that even disagree with you, you're just a a sounding gong. You are the, the echo chamber. So for me, I love or I care about everybody, every person. Sure, I get pissed off at a lot of people. I'm very blunt. People probably don't like me, and that's okay. I don't have to be the person that is your friend. Well, dude, I, of course, I knew all of this, but I enjoyed, it was kind of neat getting to unpack it with you or relive it maybe. So yeah, dude, thanks for setting the tone. I mean, it's obvious now that you're not a Christian and. (laughs) (laughs) Just just to clarify, I believe that Jesus rose on the third day. No, no, I'm not going to let you do that. I believe in all those things. (laughs) I just have changed a lot of the dualistic mentalities and don't really care about a lot of that crap anymore. I just want to see people that are loved. I want to see people that are cared about, or I want to see people be cared about. I want to see people be loved. And if, if Christians walk around and I include myself in this, if I, if I slash Christians tell people, yeah, I love everyone. I hate the sin, but not the sinner. Okay, well, I don't want to see you ever say, I wish they'd take their, their freaking kid out. So, And there's grace for that, too. It, it just rubs me the wrong way, man. It rubs me the wrong way when people act like they're super Christians when really they're just as normal as everybody else. I hope all that made sense. I hope I didn't just ramble a lot. No, you're good. I thought it was, uh, honestly, there's so much in that story just in your own experiences and in your journey that uh, it, it would be yeah. hard to do that in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. So I, I think, you know, we try to hit the points. We have a conversation, whatever. But, uh, well, so listen, thanks for listening, first of all. Go to our Facebook page or Instagram page at Helmet Theory Podcast. Give us a like, a follow, a subscribe. Maybe if you're feeling froggy, go share it. Uh, we'd love to hear your questions or comments. If, like, if you think Nichols sucks and you think I'm super awesome, make sure and post that. That's gonna be that's gonna be good for us to know. But all in all, thanks for listening. We've got some exciting guests coming up next week, and uh, thanks for sticking in there with us. Absolutely, thank you guys. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun.